0: The Financial Dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax, or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the
0: Financial Dads podcast. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now, here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Financial Dads podcast. Today, our guest is Andre Stewart. Andre is the founder and CEO of InvestFar Capital, Residual Roads Business Institute, and InvestFar, the first mobile app that lets you purchase, renovate, sell, or manage an investment property remotely, globally. Uh, Previously a commercial banker with such firms as Wells Fargo and Silicon Valley Bank, and a private bank named One West Bank as an advisor to CEOs of startups, major tech companies, and high net worth individuals. Everything changed when at the age of 33, his doctor ordered him to quit. Andre then discovered the, the knowledge of real estate investing and was able to achieve financial independence in less than seven months in that industry. Andre is also the author of The Real Estate Investing Diet. Andre, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. How are you doing today?
0: Doing very well, thank you. And, and tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, especially this, um, in your description, his doctor ordered him to quit. I want to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Well, you know, I was working in Silicon Valley at the time, and I thought I had my dream job. And, you know, it was a job making, you know, a good amount of money. Um, I was into technology. I've always liked, you know, being around computers. But at this point in time, we were short staffed. So I was overworking, and I played basketball through a high school, college, afterwards. So I'm a generally a healthy person. But uh, one day on the way to taking my son to school, my left arm started tingling, and then I fell up against my car was short of breath. And that's something you know unusual for me, so I ended up dropping my son off and then went to the doctor, and they immediately took me off work and they were like, "Look, your stress is literally killing you, and so they did my labs and things like that, and I think for me, I was chasing money um and that's kind of one reason once they took me off work, it just allowed me to focus on getting back healthy, and that's when I discovered real estate That is amazing, yeah. and
0: I love this transition from corporate America. Right mm-hmm. into entrepreneurship. And before we get into Invest Far and your book, I'd love to hear a little bit about that transition because at some point, you know, you had that conversation with the doctor, and then you're sitting back and saying, Geez, I, I gotta do something different. It's almost like being an entrepreneur could be more stressful <laughs> in yeah. some respects
1: yeah, yeah, than yeah.
0: working for a company. So I and I'm one of those people that I, I-, I have Deep admiration for entrepreneurs because uh, I see them, and I think I, I think in my back of my mind, I, I want to do that at one point in my life, but never able to kind of lunge forward and jump into the pool. So, how did you make that transition?
1: I think something that I always tell people: the transition, if you have a pipeline, and if we're talking about real estate, that's kind of what that's what I do, so I can speak to that. But if you have a pipeline of deals before you leave your job it'll kind of give you confidence to leave. But one thing that I always say is at least have three or four months worth of your, your income for like your expenses in the bank. So say for instance, your expenses are $5,000. Make sure you have 15 to $20,000 in a bank and at least two or three deals in the pipeline that are going to close that'll help you sustain because you already have three, four months runway. So then if you close two or three deals in a time, that'll give you more room to continue to stay out of work and you know uh stay an entrepreneur so yeah that's great that.
0: that's great advice yeah that is great great advice and tell us a little bit about your businesses uh so invest far so i know there's several arms of it but when i was looking today and i was looking at the Investfar site and the instagram and facebook um really interesting concept and like we talked about before we started recording Uh, Our buddy Dave Spear. Dave, if you're listening, you're going to want to check out this podcast. Uh, We did an episode with Dave, and it seemed like he was doing the stuff that you're doing from a real estate investing perspective, uh, but it would make his life much easier if he was using your platform. (laughs) So (laughs) tell us a little bit about InvestFAR and and how it's helping investors uh, really gain traction and get a handle on their real estate investments.
1: The one thing I'll say is like, you know, the way the platform works is it allows you to invest remotely, basically anywhere in the world. So we're basically starting in the U.S. So if you go on the InvestFar app, you can do a residential, property inspection, internal, external. You can do a closing through a notary. You can have a notary come to your house, or you can do a remote closing over the phone or via video. You can also, you know, if you want to say, for instance, you're like, I got a deal and I need to get it closed but I don't know how to close it. You can just hop on there and speak with an advisor. You do a zoom call with someone on there for advice. If you need deal structuring, you can hop on there and do a video call with someone to do deal structuring. So a lot of times when some people are getting into real estate and they're trying to invest remotely, they don't have all these tools or boots on the ground to be able to do this particular thing in another market, so they don't have the confidence. So what InvestPAR does, it even has a directory of contractors for you to reach out in, let's say Memphis or somewhere like Florida, and we have real estate agents, so if you need someone that has a familiar background with that area, you can hop on there and talk to someone and get real insight on that area before you invest in it. You can send someone out to do an inspection. You can close all from the comfort of your home, and that takes all the you know the the anxiety from investing in a property from abroad or wherever you are.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, that you know, from a tooling perspective, my buddy was saying the same thing that um, nowadays having local contractors or real estate agents and management companies where you want to invest in those areas. It's cool that your, your application, your platform allows people to connect to those local trusted advisors, right. To get jobs done and invest in those areas. Correct.
1: I, I think one of the benefits too, I was talking to somebody that I'm mentoring yesterday and I think one of the benefits is you get to, we, we get properties from asset managers all over the world. So if you live in somewhere like California, Like I live in Los Angeles, so take five hundred thousand dollars or six hundred thousand in L.A. That's gonna buy you a two bedroom, one bathroom, nine hundred square foot house in South Central or or somewhere like that. But you can take five hundred thousand and buy ten houses if you go to Memphis or you go to somewhere like Nebraska. So it's like once you the whole idea I was telling him because he's in Hawaii, so I'm like you have to build a team. And so once you start building a team in one market, you duplicate that system, and that's what InvestBar allows you to do. It allows you to build different teams, and you can save them in your favorites, right? You can save markets in your favorites. If you want to save Orlando, you want to save Chicago, you can do all of this and have a filter. So when it's time for you to go to the app and check that market, you go to your favorites and hit that filter, and boom, property recommendations will come up based on your qualifications, and then you reach out to whoever you want to. So that's what I think it takes the guessing out of investing remotely.
0: Oh, that's very cool.
1: Yeah, I I think –
0: we could probably talk all day about the platform and kind mm-hmm. of mechanics, but I want to get into a little bit about your book, uh, The Real mm-hmm. Estate Investing Diet. You know, what is it, where to start, and how to tap it to gain financial independence?
1: The Real Estate Investing Diet, man, you, like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm really into fitness. I play ball. I was a personal trainer at some point in time. And so I think almost everyone has did some type of diet in their lifetime. You had to have, right? It's just because that's just kind of the nature of people. And so I think what I did was took the concepts of a regular diet and simplified real estate investing because it's really that simple. It's, it's all the same thing. So if you get, get in a routine like you would on any diet, whether it be learning for an hour a day, looking for leads or whatever you have to do, I just try to break that down in the real estate investing diet and give you a calendar and a plan exactly on what you have to do so you don't have to think about it when it comes to investing in real estate.
0: That's interesting. And that real estate investing diet, is that time boxed in any way? Do you have people doing it? Like, is it is it pretty much ongoing or is it a 90
1: day plan? Like, I'd love to hear a little bit
0: more about that part in in terms
1: of in the in the book. I kind of did 90 days. Right. I think, you know, people form habits. What is it? Twenty one days to form a habit or 14 days to break one, something like that. So I think if you can go through and you go through the 90 days or even if you make it 30 days or 60 days, That'll be your lifestyle. I think people look at diets like, oh, I'm going to do this for 30 days or 90 days. But no, we want to create a lifestyle. But for the book, I just try to give you 90 days to give you that, you know, I guess that structure for that time period. And then from that point on, hopefully it's something that someone adopts.
0: Yeah. And I think it leads to a question of, I think I've been looking at investing in real estate for decades and Mm -hmm. do not own anything but my house. (laughs) which has been an investment loser, if I <laughs> – it really has. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, to me, the home was always a defensive play, so I need something to put my family in, send my kids to school, that type of thing. So I, I, I always viewed it as, as, as an asset, but not an investment, if that makes sense. And But I always thought about – and I would – pick up, you know, I'd look online and I'm looking at different pieces and stuff like that. What are some of the, what are some of the strategies for removing the underlying root cause, preventing someone like myself from being financially free? Cause I feel like, um, there's that hesitation to kind of take those steps mm-hmm. and the thoughts of investing money and, and large sums of money and then getting involved with, I guess I'm always looking at the negative side of real estate. Like someone's going to change their motorcycle oil and in your living room. Right. And, or, you know, you, you get that horrible tenant that you know rips your cabinets out and you can't get them. I don't know. So that's my, my head will always go that way, but what are some of those, those strategies that kind of let you become financially free and take those steps?
1: That's you, you hit it right on the head. Like the, the thoughts that you're thinking, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon, right? I grew up in poverty. You know what I mean? We grew up on food stamps, things like that. So no one gave me a million dollars to start a business. I just bootstrapped but the thing that I did was education. I think education is the key to people feeling comfortable. If you know how to do something like we talked about earlier about podcasting, if you don't know how to do it and you just jump into it and you start going, there's so many different things that you learn throughout that process. So I think education, learning about something in particular, but also removing yourself around people that have negative thoughts. A lot of success is basically 70% mental. So if you can surround yourself with people that have thoughts like you or trying to progress like you and go to like seminars and things like that. You just remove these limiting beliefs that you get from your parents about money's evil or rich people are bad. And you just have all these, I would say, limiting belief factors from your environment. And so I think once you remove those barriers, the sky's the limit because you're like, I can do this, I can do this. And I think education just gives you the confidence to be like, you know what? I know this like the back of my hand. Why don't I just go ahead and do it so you don't have the, uh, the, the like, oh, someone's going to change the oil in my living room. Yeah, but you have homeowner's insurance, right? So if they do it, you know, so there's different things that you have in place that should just mitigate the negativity that you have behind whatever it is, investing in stocks or real estate. Once you learn it and know it, then it's like, you know, I think Warren Buffett says uh, a risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. So if you know what you're doing, is it really a risk? I love that. Yeah, no, that, that is great.
0: And it kind of leads to another question and I'm going to kind of drill into the real estate a bit. So, you know, in terms of learning, um, I believe when I looked at LinkedIn, you did, you, you went to school for real estate at one point, right? Um,
1: yeah, I went in, uh, I went uh, went to Old Roberts, but then after that, I tried to get a certification in real estate investment and development from MIT. So it's like, it goes back to what I was saying. I went to school for one thing, international business. But after I wanted to get into real estate, I didn't know real estate that well. I went and got a job at a real estate bank. And then from that, I went to try to get certified at one of the best schools in the country. So, you know, again, so that just took any kind of guessing out of real estate investing at that point.
0: Yeah. And what are some of the other uh, tools or, or, or resources that you, you know, that you that you look at if someone wants to get more educated on on real estate? Um, what are some of the other resources? I know we have the internet Google and and all these different pieces, but are there any particular, uh, besides your book, I think that people should be reading your book as well. So, but are there any other resources that people would, that you would point people to, to learn
1: more about real estate? I say this, I told my, again, one of the people that I'm mentoring yesterday, I said technology has bridged that gap. There is not, if you go on YouTube and type in anything, there's going to be someone at this point in time, in 2020, that has done what you're trying to do. So there's no excuse on why well, I can't do this or I can't do that. Someone did it. So just go on YouTube and watch the video of that person that did it. So I think if you don't want to read, because people people don't like to read, you know what I mean? If you don't want to read, there's tons of podcasts, my podcast, your podcast, Bigger Pockets podcast. So there's so many different avenues that you can go to to learn real estate without picking up a book. And I think podcasting, and YouTube videos are one of those ways. Oh, that's great! Great suggestion. Yeah, I, I, I can't. I don't know how many
0: times where I, I'm trying to figure out a setting in my car, and you go to YouTube and boom, it comes right up. Right, like what, whatever it is. Yeah, I think you're a hundred percent correct. Like whatever you're trying to do in life, um,
1: like, how do you the ink pan with no ink, and then you go on YouTube, someone and it's them. there. It's there. So I, there yeah. you go.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. That is amazing, and and I think one of the things I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, how can you have cash flow, capital gains, and ancillary income without ever using your own money? I think this is this is something that goes back to in my childhood. Uh, I don't know if you remember Carlton Sheets. I don't know if I'm dating myself, right? And he was on Saturday morning. You know, people who you know, people are growing up in this culture where you know you everything's on demand. But when I was a kid. TV channels were like there was like eight of them. <laughs> one of them,
1: he was the infomercial guy, right? Right, yeah, he
0: was the infomercial guy. And a friend of mine uh, had bought the course, and and we, tr- you know, and back then I, he was trying to make heads or tails of it, but it was, you know, but that was I think one of the things that people have talked about over the years is so how do you if you don't have a lot of money how can you start in this real estate investing game.
1: That's what I did. I, I took my network from zero to 1.2 million in seven months using other people's money. And the way you do that is through finding really good deals. So if you find a deal that has a lot of equity in it, and you know how to structure that deal, you can get that property. If you like, hey, this property, say that. Say, for instance, you find a property that's $150,000, right? The property, you can get it for $50,000. So there's 100,000 equity. Just not even do that. Just say you find a property, again, for 150, you can get it for 100,000. It's fifty thousand worth of equity. You can go to someone and say, "Hey, I'll give you fifteen or twenty percent on your interest if you give me, let's say the the down payment is going to be fifteen percent because you can do a hard money loan if you have a good credit score and you only got to put down ten to fifteen percent. So you only got to come to the table with fifteen thousand dollars. You can go out there and borrow that fifteen grand from someone and say, "Hey, I'll give you twenty percent. Who's not going to take that? That doesn't matter to you because you're getting." 50,000 back. So that's one way that you can go into a property and spend no money because you're using hard money and someone's giving you the 15% down to put on the property to get it to acquire it. And then you do the rehab or whatever and then you turn around and sell it. Or you just keep it and you give that person their 15% back whenever you do based on your contract with that person.
0: Yeah. And maybe you could maybe you could talk to our audience a little bit what what a hard you use the term hard money. So a hard money loan. What is that? What are the different loan types that you've used in terms of? mechanisms to buy real estate.
1: So that's exactly what I do. I'm in Bar Capital. We are a hard money company. We're, we're lenders. So what hard money is, is you go to a, if you go to a traditional bank, you have to give tax returns. You have to give bank statements. You have to give all these different things in order for you to be, be able to get a loan. And the interest rate is really like 1% different. It's not even a drastic difference between getting hard money, especially on like a long term. But if you're going to do a fix and flip, which we're talking about now, if you get a fix and flip loan, the interest rate is generally 9 to 10 percent, maybe 11, depending on your credit score. And the person gives you the money. So for that $150,000, we would give you the one fifty dollars minus the 10 to 15 percent you have to put down, and that would include the rehab. So you'd be able to go out there and get $150,000 at 10 percent interest only, so you're only paying maybe $1,000 a month or maybe $900 for this particular loan and is interest only. So you, you know, you're generally, if you get a good contracting team, you can get done with that rehab in, hopefully 60 to 90 days, maybe at the max one hundred and twenty, And then you just basically sell that, sell that house and you get that money back from that loan.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So you, you are almost like in partnership with the, with the applicant.
1: Correct. We're basically in partnership. So we go through, we'll send their inspector out. We won't let someone get a loan that we don't see that's going to benefit that person and us in the long run because then we're going to be on the hook for that un- underperforming asset which we don't want and we don't want this person to end up having foreclosure or whatever the case is. So we're basically in partnership with that person coming on board.
0: Got it. And and I know that through previous conversations it could it could be hard to find those deals, right? And sometimes at least my 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 other buddy was saying you know, he he might look at 100 deals to find one. Do you find that to be the case? Or do you do you find that, uh, as someone put it to me one time, there's a, there's a deal of a lifetime happens every day, right? Like there's, you know, people, if you look hard enough, you'll find the right deals. But it, it's not without work, right? You have to put the work in to find these deals a bit.
1: You know what? If, if you're trying to stick to a certain market, like people always ask me, what kind of real estate do you do? I go where the numbers make sense. So you might look at a hundred deals to get the perfect deal that you want. But I mean, if you're wholesaling, if you pick up the real estate investing guy, you learn how to do a number of different things. There's always going to be an investor out there that wants a particular property. So if you're trying to stick with a specific market, yeah, you might have to look through a hundred deals. But if you're investing in multiple markets because you've built certain teams, I think the deals are there. And especially through InvestBar, we get a lot of deals that automatically has 60 or 70,000 worth of equity, but they might be in Florida or they might be in Georgia. They might be in a market that someone's not interested in, but I think you don't necessarily have to do a hundred unless you're just market specific.
0: That is interesting. Now that you said that, I could see why the person I was talking to is market specific. (laughs) So (laughs) so it, it, it resonated as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense now. But if you're willing to look at a number of markets and kind of spread out your view, and open yourself up to looking at different areas you may never have thought of before, you could really find potentially those deals almost every day. That's what you're saying, depending on what you're looking for.
1: I think people get to that point at some point. But again, if you did find the deal somewhere else and you got it on the contract and you don't want to per se do that flip or hold that rental, you can get it on the contract and go to like a real estate investment club or go to a meetup group, group online and sell that piece of paper to another person who's going to buy that property in that particular market. So you can wholesale that deal to someone else.
0: Got it. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, and I think I already know the answer to the question because you you sort of said it, you want to go where the deal is, right? So it's really around the numbers. numbers. So you probably have some properties that you want to buy and hold, and you probably have some properties that you want to flip, right? Or mm. you know, and so,
1: I, I is that the case? That it really yeah, comes down to I mean, the deal type. Come down to the deal type and what you have going on. So at one point, I had ten rehabs going on at one time. I think it was twenty twenty one, one of those years. And I still got deals that came in. So instead of me taking on this deal to add to my portfolio at that time of rehabs, I made fifteen thousand dollars on a wholesale deal in twenty minutes. I got it under contract and flipped it to an investor I knew was looking for a property in that particular market. So I still did the deal. I made 15 grand and I didn't even have to do the rehab or even take on a property.
0: That is amazing. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the things I want to ask you, and we'll kind of switch gears a little bit again, what are the nine steps that you that you would do now that would you know drive your real estate dream to become a reality? So, you know, once again, someone listening, they're hesitant, they're hearing all this great stuff, now they're convinced, they want to move forward. What are those nine steps that they would take that you have defined?
1: is what I would say. I don't know if there's nine steps. For one, if you're just now starting out, I would say, I'm not trying to plug my book. I just think it's a really good book because I do this and I've been doing it for a while and I was a banker. So my, my level of expertise is a little bit different. But I think you get a mentor, right? Whether it be residual roads or you know, there's a ton of mentors out here. So I think you get your education up. Have that knowledge. And then, um, I would start looking at a, a very specific market. That's, you know, if it's not close to you somewhere that you feel comfortable with, that your dollar amount can reach. So I think you come up with a budget for your, everyone has an investment criteria. So you define your investment criteria based on how much money you have available based on your credit score and things like that. Once you do that, then I think you start looking for, I don't even want to say people in a specific network. I would say try to find people that are in real estate, right? Be around like-minded people. Um, so you build your network up that way. And then the next thing I would do is probably get in meetup groups in the different markets that you want to get into. Because now if you get a con, if you're looking for a property and you find one, and it's not in your criteria. You can flip it to somebody in that market just by going through a meetup group and sending out a text like, hey, I got this property. Here goes this address. So you sell it that fast as well. And then what else would I say do? I would say be consistent. I think be consistent um, with everything that I just said and just stay after it, man. I, I don't think you're going to get your first deal for like the first year or two years, depending on the kind of you know strategy that you have. Um, so don't, you know, don't give up. But I would just say those things right there, I think are the like main points. I will not even get to nine. I would focus on like one through five first, right? And then, you know, once you get that mastered, go to the next next couple steps. That makes sense. That makes sense. And we touched upon it throughout the
0: podcast so far, but can you really explain for us kind of, you know, the, your definition of remote investing and, and kind of where to start with that?
1: <laughs> it goes back to, again, where, go where the numbers make sense. Right. And so I think, um, it's funny. I think it's, um, I can't think of that one guy, but he always says live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense. So I think the key to remote investing is again, if you have $70,000 in the bank, right. And that's not going to hurt you. I think you start looking in those markets. Like Memphis is still cheap. Nebraska is still cheap. Augusta, Georgia is still cheap. So look what markets are cheap. And then you go in there and you figure out that market. Like I say, say if you want to go to Augusta, figure out the Augusta market, figure out where the good schools are. So then you do that part. So I think the first thing is figure out your, your, um, your investment criteria, figure out where your money will go the furthest. And then from that point, you just dive into the market, looking for houses.
0: Cool. Cool. And one of the things that I wanted to touch upon is is what are the downsides to fixing and flipping and and why is that not only the way to you know it's not the only way to invest in real estate but it could be the most expensive and least efficient way we see so many of these tv shows right where yeah. they're flipping and they're making a fortune and they're driving whatever and and it's very it, it's very glamorous right yeah. but i i think you're saying that hey you know it might not be the best route for everybody and and i'd love to hear your 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 view on that
1: I say that all the time. I I think HGTV, Fix and Flop, these are good shows, but I don't think they're real, right? They don't give you the real, like when you get inside a house and your rehab budget is 30,000, but then you get in there because you didn't do an inspection because you should have. And then the electrical work needs to be done or there's black mold in the ceiling. So that's going to cost you another 5,000. So you went from 30 to 35,000. And then the electrical work could be 10 grand. So you went from 30 to Thirty-five. Then now another ten. I here at forty-five thousand. So you just you can go over budget really fast when you're doing a rehab if you don't know what you're doing. And it does cost a lot of money starting out, right? You have to go and do the hard money. You got to have the fifteen percent to put down. You have to have all these other factors to get into fixing and flipping. And so then if you have sixty grand and you got to put down twenty thousand dollars, now you're down to forty. If that rehab goes over budget. Now you gotta tap into that 40,000 if you have a rehab loan. So then that that money's gone. So I, I just feel like there's other ways that people can get into investing outside of doing fix and flips, which if you, the market goes in cycles. So 2020, there were no houses. So if I flipped a house, I would sell a house in 30 minutes because there were no houses on the market. So 2020 was a great time to be a fix and flipper because there was no inventory. But you coming up on 2020, there's so much inventory interest rates are super high the cost of a house is super high so if you're flipping a house the likelihood of you being able to sell it really quick is very slim so I don't think this is the market cycle for people to be doing real estate investing as far as fixing and flipping but there's you know we're in a recession and the recession is getting worse and so there's a ton of layoffs that are just now starting and people can see this and the economy is getting worse so there's going to be a lot of people that are in distress situations and it goes back to carton sheets You can take over a person's property by taking over a loan, subject to the existing loan. So if someone's going into foreclosure, if you have 70 grand, if this person hadn't paid their mortgage in, let's say, eight months, they're behind. Say they're behind 10 grand, you can just pay the 10,000 and catch up their payments and take over that mortgage and assume that mortgage from that person and take over that house. So now you have a house that's probably in good shape because that person lives in it, And they just couldn't afford to pay their mortgage. So it's in good condition. You might have to do carpet and paint. You pay 10 grand. You maybe gave this person 5,000 to move out and find somewhere else to live. So now you control this house and you only pay 10 grand and it's a good condition house and you can rent it out. Right? So I think that would be the strategy that I would do right now instead of fixing and flipping, because there's going to be a ton of people that are in situations that need help. So the bank doesn't want an underperforming note because they have it on their books and they can't lend money because they have this underperforming note. This person avoids foreclosure, for because if you go into foreclosure, you can't buy a house for seven years. And now you also have a property that you got a good deal on, so it's a win-win for everybody. So that's what I would do instead of fixing and flipping. And then maybe three or four years from now, when the inventory dries up, you have enough money to fix and flip. So it won't hurt you if you go over budget, you know, another twenty grand.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like this is a fascinating topic. Like I said, I could talk to you for hours on this, but I want to be. Uh, I want to be conscious of your time. You know when it comes to the current housing market, it sounds like it, no matter what market you may be in, there's always a way and a strategy to make money right But in your opinion from your purview, um, you know what do you think of the current housing market? Um, still a good time to buy and is a collapse looming? And if it is, you know I guess you just you know like you said, there's a way to address that but what are you, what is your personal view on uh, the housing market?
1: Well, I deal with clients all the time that, that I do loans for, and, and some of them are in situations because they were in rehab loans, and the interest rate went up so fast in a short amount of time. So you could have got a, a loan for 3% in February. Now it's up to 7 or 8% to get that property. So my look on the housing market is housing prices are still 60% higher than they should be, right? Some of them ran up 110%. And now your interest rate is super high so you're overpaying for the house and then your mortgage payment is going to be double what it would have been a year and a half ago so i think the housing market people look at collapse i don't think the housing market is going to collapse i think it's going to be a gradual decline because if you look at the last the financial crisis of 08 it started in 08 actually started in 07 but then 08 hit and then it became more mainstream and then the market didn't bottom out in the housing market until 2012. So it's like a four or five year time horizon where the real estate market bottomed out. It wasn't a collapse overnight. It's not going to be like the stock market where you go from, you know, hundred to zero, it's going to be a gradual thing. And you can see the prices are starting to decline right now, very rapidly depending on certain markets. So I think over two years, it's going to the housing market is going to go back to where it should be. And maybe a little before, you know, maybe, maybe 50%. If it doesn't go all the way back down, you know, fifty or sixty percent. It'll at least correct thirty to forty five percent. Got it. That's no, that's
0: that, that. That's I love the insight there, and and that and what is some of the lessons learned from your career in commercial banking? You were in there for a while, and then made this this switch into real estate investing. But what are some of those lessons you learned from that career that you were able to take and 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 bring into the real estate investing career?
1: Well, uh, you know what I I think I learned about the economy a lot, you know, right? You, 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 I got into banking in 08, like when the market collapsed. So like I was dealing with a lot of people coming in. So I think you just learn more how about the economy, which is huge when it comes to investing. I think everything revolves around the global economy. So the more you know about the economy, the, the way you know how to move in your own, because a lot of things that happen abroad eventually come back home. So I think learning that in banking and also how to network and connect with other people, I think, I didn't really i'm not like a you know super extrovert so but i think working in banking it allowed me to just be comfortable talking to new people because as a as a banker you're, you're always meeting new people you're always asking for money like that's what your job is so i think you just learn the ability to go out and raise funds and ask them one if you have a good product or if you have a good house it's real easy to go out there and raise funds so i think a lot of people are so scared that they think they need a ton of money to get started in real estate And you don't. You just need to have a good product to be able to go out there and ask someone who has the money to do the deal with you. And so that's how you kind of get into investing with no money. Very
0: cool. And I'm going to ask one, maybe two last questions uh, from you today. So one is, how do you balance kind of that that family life with your son, right? (laughs) And what have you been able to teach your son based on your real estate experience and and everything? What are some of those life lessons that you think you've been – able to convey with him. But I also want to hear how you balance this all out as well as a parent.
1: This the one thing that I'll say about being an entrepreneur, right? You said about it you said it earlier. It's it's it is really hard. But I think the difference between being an entrepreneur or an investor and having a job is you control your time. I never really miss any of my son's sporting events or his practices unless they're like three in one week, then I might go to two. Right. You know what I mean? Just because that's, that's the balance. And then I, and then I work and I never, never miss a game. If I don't have to, unless I'm, if I'm here, I'm there. If I'm not traveling, I'm there. But if you have a job, you don't have that luxury. And that's kind of what happened with me. I wouldn't, I was not hanging out with my son. I wouldn't take him to the park because this job had me so stressed out. As soon as I was able to, you know, remove myself from that job and have independence you get that balance because you structure your time the way you want to structure it. So if your kid goes to bed at seven o'clock, then you spend time with him from when he gets out of school at three to seven, and then you get back to working from seven to 10 or seven to 11, whatever your schedule is. So, and then the next day, you can wake up at 10 or 11 if you went to bed late or whatever the case is, and go to the gym and do whatever. So you get to structure your time, however you want it. So I think, you know, the finding the balance is you find out I work really well at night. I would step until two or three in the morning, And do my thing so then when my son comes home from school we can go to the park we can you know go play football but that's just my time so i I think you just manage your time how you see fit as an entrepreneur and so i think the balance is easy um but it is hard it is hard because sometimes you can't sometimes people will call you when you're hanging out with your kid and if you want to be a good business owner and 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 that's one thing that my clients probably say. Andre is always available. He can text me or call me at nine or ten. He's going to answer. And I think that, you know, you got to walk that fine line with with growing your business and spending time with your with your family. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for
0: your time today. I mean, some of the takeaways I took, I just I have a glass top desk. I write with a little Expo marker <laughs> on my glass top desk. I wrote hard money lending. Yeah, didn't yeah. really know what that is. I've heard that term a number of times, but it was a light bulb moment today when you described it,
1: you described it very well. Let me say this um, fest- about hard money lending, uh, because again, I'm a lender, but if people listen to like Dave's Ramseys, people talk about debt, right? People talk about credit and, and loans. I think if you use a hard money loan the right way, because it, it has a bad rap because the interest rate so high, but if you use a hard money loan the right way, you can grow your real estate business within a year to two or $3 million like that, because you're using good debt. It's good debt, right? You're not, it's not a credit card where you're, going and buying shoes it's, it's a house that you're buying an asset with so i wanted to just throw that in there because i don't want people to have a bad or a misconception of hard money loans yeah that's so funny you say that because we used to
0: talk about on the show uh about credit cards and 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 you know credit cards used correctly are a great tool Exactly. And I, we would call them, you know, it would be, a, we use the example of a chainsaw. If a credit card was a chainsaw, right? Mm-hmm. If you use it really well, you won't slice your, your, your kneecaps off, right? Like, but some people don't know how to use a credit card, right? They, they believe whatever, and they use it badly. Just right. like, you know, they just like using the chainsaw badly. You wouldn't want to start chop, you know, cutting a tree down with flip flops and, you know, and making it angle towards you, but you want to use it effectively. I know I probably over, Overdid it with the analogy, but um, the other thing was investing where the numbers make sense. I yeah. thought that was very telling, and I love the last part about managing your time because uh, that resonates as well. Um, you know, in terms of finding that time in the day where you're most productive, and you you have that as an entrepreneur, you can manage your time much better that way. And and I think some of that advice could be applicable to people who have a job, right? Really effectively using your di- time, so thank you for all of this. And I, I want to let you have the, the last word in terms of any final thoughts or plugs, and and we'll uh, wrap up the show.
1: Um, you know, I, you know, you asked some good questions, man. I appreciate that. Um, and I think I, hopefully, you know, people took some things away from that. But if people want to find out, you know, about me or get my podcast is called Investing Uncensored. I give a lot of unfiltered information that you generally probably wouldn't get from someone else. I'm just very candid. So I think, um, you know, tapping in that way and downloading the InvestPart app. I'm not trying to plug these things. I just know that this is what I do. And they're just really useful, especially when it comes to investing remotely. I just find that those things are beneficial to uh, people. And um, that's pretty much what I have.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, Andre, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today. And I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Um, Thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.